Hi, everyone. This is Angela Yeh, and welcome back to the Designing Futures podcast. This is our fifth episode, and we're so thrilled to be sharing all this knowledge with you. And we can't wait to share even more insights from top professionals in the design industry with all of you. Design consultants, as well as leaders from internal design teams within corporations, play a huge role in assisting enterprises to progress in the right direction. Though I must say that external consultancies are at times essential due to the fact that they have an unbiased outsider's perspective to guide corporations through change. In this week's episode, Let's listen to Hongshen Chen and John Jameson discuss how designers can transform companies and enterprises. I want to bring to the table Hongshen Chen and John Jameson, some new and old friends of mine from recruitment as well. I'm going to give you their backgrounds. Um, Hung Shen Chen is an entrepreneurial leader with more than 15 years of management experience, building effective multicultural product design teams that deliver innovative results, proven track record delivering outcome-based design through holistic user experience in both the regulated environment and consumer sector. He's achieved business goals by developing trust with clients and stakeholders, aligning design teams to strategic objectives, recognized as a thought leader serving as a presenter at several design conferences. He excels at fostering a collaborative relationship with key stakeholders, business leaders, technology committees, clients, and partners. Unwavering dedication to leadership principles that foster innovation and inspire performance excellence in others. Multilingual in English, Mandarin, and Taiwanese. Hongshan, I forgot I can speak Taiwanese with you. Okay, don't go to Stanley yet. Anyway, with experience in the North American, Asia, PAC, and European markets. Also excited to bring John Jameson to the table. John Jameson is in his second week in retirement, started and built a design function at the Clorox Company. John's extensive career has included time in both consulting firms and corporate organizations, and he's been very fortunate to have enjoyed stints at um, Continuum, Frog, in San Francisco and New York, in Ziba. John has a solid track record of starting and building design firm offices and internal corporate design functions. He's worked with Silicon Valley startups, Fortune 100 companies on hundreds of projects and initiatives, including high-tech medical, travel industry, consumer packaged goods, banking, and identifying and building growth opportunities for the many brands he's worked for. His work has received numerous national and international design awards, resulting in growth for his clients and partners. John's current goals are to teach design again and start a fly tying business, spend more time pursuing striped and largemouth bass in the California Delta, and devote time to painting and sculpting and complete his home renovation projects and add value wherever he can. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for coming up here today. You know, Bringing you two back up again, I know you guys can talk to, you know, it's funny. When I spoke to each of you, you separately had said, well, John, you, a while ago, you would say, when I was at Clorox and Hongshen, you were talking about Eli, like these companies were, had extensive design teams, but it, you were, you were talking about evolving it to the next level, right? And I wanted to know if you guys could talk a little about that. You know, not everybody has that insight to the stages of how corporations build in design teams and, and 
you know, what it takes to move them to that next level. Just curious um, if you guys can share your experiences on that. Sure, I'll, I'll take a stab at this. Um, so when I came to Clorox, um, I had spent 28 years in consulting, design consulting before going to Clorox. Clorox was a client of ours and that's how I met Clorox and, and met the team there. So uh, I, I uh, ended up taking a position there and they had no design team at all. There was no design function at all. And so I kind of walked in and said, okay, I'm here and let's figure out what to do. So I had no intention of going there and building a team. I was going there to VSP, go back to be a design person. But what, yeah. what happened, it evolved was as projects started coming in, they were asking for the wrong things. They were saying, hey, let's do this. No, let's do this. And I'm like, yeah, we could do that, right? But in reality, the, the bigger thing we need to do is build the brand. We need to reinforce the brand. We need to tie things together. Because at the time, and even today, um, all the brands that Clorox have are fairly inconsistent across their messaging and how they present themselves to consumers in the world. And so what I was trying to do is help tie that together. So it was these small wins. And so it was approached as organic growth versus design is here. We're going to, you know, it's going to happen. And we were like, no, let's, let's do a project and do it really, really well. And I say, we, it was me at the time do a project, do it really, really well. And that this gets the next people interested in doing it as well as, and, and asking us to get involved again. And so that's kind of how the group grew. And so it's been a slow organic growth. And then over time, we've moved the work further upstream from pure ID work to now we're working with M&A. And uh, we set up the right people on the team, a collective, uh, amazing collection of people with different backgrounds and thinking and, and uh, abilities. But like I said, we're involved with M&A, we're involved with finding new opportunities for the brands and growth there. So less about any kind of ID stuff. Yeah, that still happens, but we tend to outsource that. So we've migrated up. But how we did that was through a lot of handholding. There wasn't any great leaps. It was day by day, hour by hour, walking people through the process and understanding design. So there really wasn't any true epiphanies. It was a very slow, methodical, consistent. And that's what I stress to my team. We had to be consistent of our messaging and what we told the teams and how we spoke about design to, to enable the growth. I love that you pointed out the fact that these, these shifts take time, right? People yeah. who haven't been in that role assume that you can just come in, have a meeting, let's do a workshop. And all of a sudden, all the product leaders are saying, okay, great, let's just do this. Right. Yeah. And part of it was the culture of Clorox. And I, and what I was very fortunate was because of the experience I had consulting, I experienced a lot of different clients and knew not every client was the same, right? Some would let you come in and do whatever you want and just go away for 12 weeks and do the work and others want to be highly involved. Clorox is a very collaborative place and found out very quickly that I couldn't get on a soapbox and just start screaming about how great design was. It wouldn't work there. So it was winning individuals over, key individuals over slowly but surely, and just being very, like I said, very, very consistent and continue to do great work. Yeah, I can definitely resonate with what Zhang you articulate about winning every individual kind of go along the way because in cooperation, everything takes time. Like uh, it's kind of like a necessary evil by itself, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I can, yeah, I can share some of my experience too. I would say it's a learning journey. I mean, even till now, still learning. Okay. And just like every design project, I treat growing a design team inside a corporation as a design challenge. And 
is need to be customized for different organization due to the context difference and different maturity level. And I really love, I've got a um, previous speaker actually mentioned about even inside the organization, there are different pockets. I think Ariana mentioned that they have different maturity and you have to figure out your tactic, how to, how to partner with them, right? And calibrate the language. I also love the one that John mentioned that we need to somehow bring the team aligned with the common language. Because if, it, if the design team speak in five different languages talking about to define what design is, then the rest of the organization will be fully confused. So it's kind of like a challenging role that we have to find the balance of the outside voice. There's always shining things outside with the consultancy. By the same time, how do we drive the internal consistency? So um, come back to my experience is I have been have the fortune to always join a company, try to start a design team for several times. So I just joined another new company three weeks ago, going to start another design team and research function. Um, so it's kind of like a fun, it's kind of in between corporate world and also how do I say startup and <laughs> with a very different challenge. Like of course there are some resource, but in a way that this kind of team have to quickly prove their value inside the organization mm -hmm. because there's a lot of non-believer why you are coming here to take away something from us, you easily come into a political war, right? If you don't handle well. And however, I think the part that what I want to position myself and for the design team is we come here to help, right? And eventually, yes, we're going to take over. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Um, but um, it's a way to empower the corporation to really understand the true power of design. So along the journey, I think, what a good design leader need to think about to come into the enterprise and scale the change is we need to do a reality check. What is the current status of this organization? What is their design maturity? Mm -hmm. And I can tell you when I onboard the previous job, the first test I got is some engineer come to me and say, hey, Hongshang, you're a designer, right? Good. We have this pen, have these two different colors. Which color is better? Just like, awesome. <laughs> Okay, this is, this is the challenge I'm facing, okay? I thought I'd come into a company working oh. with famous agency for 20 years, and apparently the internal team have no clue about design, and they talk about the beauty of the design, where in the context of medical device, it really doesn't matter. It's not like the color doesn't matter, don't, don't take it too literally, but it's more like it doesn't matter my personal experience or taste influence that product. It's about what is the rationale behind of choosing specific color that influence use in the context, especially it is not a consumer product. So Angela, I kind of just cut you off. No, no, yeah. no. It, it was funny. You were talking about the beauty and the, the thing I always stress for, and I know you do this as well. And I did it as a consultant is that um, I always felt if it was around beauty, it becomes a beauty contest. So you'd walk in a meeting and you would present this thing and walk the walk your client or the people on the team through something and they go, oh, I like the blue one. And you're like, but wait a minute, the blue one is missing some things. And so yeah. what we strive for, we had to reset was we eliminated the beauty contest. And the way we did that was a finding and creating the right um, evaluation criteria and had everyone agree to that evaluation criteria even before we started. So mm -hmm. then the beauty contest went away. And as you know, that's just a nightmare within a corporation. I mean, to get everyone to agree on selecting three <laughs> bullet points took months and months and months. But 
we found that that value, it was so valuable to do that. It made leadership buy-in and made things go through the process. If we didn't have that or we missed that step, it would blow up. It was just a really interesting phenomenon. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah indeed. Go ahead. I was going to say one other thing you mentioned and you touched on it. I want to go back a little bit. <clears throat> what I've noticed the biggest difference between a consulting firm <clears throat> and a corporation is in a consulting firm, the client wants you there. The client sit, already acknowledged that they're going to like, okay, it's going to cost us a lot of money, but we're going to bring this outside partner in and they're going to help us because we can't do that. Mm -hmm. When you're inside, you don't get that respect. You get your necessary evil and I have to talk to you. So it's a harder sell for us being internally, you're laughing, <laughs> than being external. Because this team's saying, oh, here comes John again with his team. It's going to be expensive and it's going to take more time. And so there's They're going to make us do that. a surrender or a workshop. <laughs> it was just like... Oh my gosh. So anyway, I'm sorry, but that was just an interesting nuance that it took me a couple of years to realize the difference. Um, yeah. So. And you are spot on. Like, I think this is the part that why I always still maintain the flexibility working internal and external. Like most of the time when I build a team, right, I will have a clear alignment with my stakeholder and leaders. Like, first of all, let's just do a reality check. We are not going to build a 40 person team internally. Okay. Um, because it's not feasible for certain industry. And also like, like the, the, it's going to, how to say, let the team lose the power of flexibility. I love the way that we have a, a like mix of the talent in different way, because some people like to work in corporation, mm -hmm. right? Because the beauty of working corporation is you can get your hand dirty and you can, if, if you join the right team, you can influence the strategy. You can really see the things from the beginning before you even hatch. All the way to is, you know, launching to the market and you can hold on to that. For a consultant, the challenge is, yeah, there's a diversity of project, but you touch each point, but everybody want to have a different flavor and the talents come from everywhere. So I want to create the opportunity to kind of latch inside and out with the internal team, with the freelancer, with the external consultancy. And I think Bob and I work together in, um, in Eli Lilly. So I actually invite him just using him, uh, his expertise and knowledge to help me to advocate for design. And he did an awesome job to help me and then build that credential to use as an outside voice to educate the internal team what design can be. And like you, like you say, John, people tend to listen to the outside world. Even the message is the same, but it's much more powerful. And especially with people like, you know, like, a, like Bob, right? Like a very powerful, like, you know, like with a really substantial, like a resume and, you know, experience can put on the table. So it's just, you know, fascinating to me about, but the one thing I do learn though, it doesn't matter where you go and where we work in which country, right? In which continent, people are people. Okay. Like, yes. yeah, it's about the same. Like the, the tactic doesn't really change. I think the difference in nuances is more of, there are different ways people like to find that balance and how do we make decision could be different. Some organization want to be more collaborative, co-created. Some organization or country would like to be more hierarchical. Yeah. And no right or wrong, but it's just as a, you know, a design leader, like you know, in the team here, like I, I think we all adopt and learn how to be, I call it more of a cultural chameleon, yeah. try to fit into the context. And sometimes we have to wear different hats and different kind of clothes. Sometimes we are 
like you know evangelist sometimes we are educator sometimes we are manager try to calculate the numbers right sometimes we marketing people try to market our own team yeah. so stuff like that i just like i just enjoy the journey so far yeah i enjoy it as well all the hats you have to wear and in, in one day or in, one, in 15 minutes you're dealing with <laughs> yeah. a budget question then you have somebody's upset about something then you have and so yeah. But I enjoy that. I enjoyed that a lot. It was very, it was fun. And I think that's one of the things I, I, I think the takeaway, I know there's a less experienced people than myself on this call. My hint would be to them is, you know, in your meetings and in your reviews, pay attention to the personalities and try to understand why people are asking certain questions and when, and, and how do you answer it? And how, if you don't have the answer, how do you address it? And I think that's really key in consulting or corporation life. It's, it's that client management is the, always the issue when things happen. It's, it's always the expectations being misaligned or when things blow up and you want to avoid the blow ups. So, but it's nuanced. Um, and it's, and it, it just makes it, it makes it fun. I always looked at it as I, I, I was glad when someone was pissed off because we can make them our best friend within a couple of days. And so I always kind of uh, sought that out. Designing Futures is brought to you by Yay Ideology, a talent strategy firm with a mission to help companies partner with the best design talent through corporate consulting and recruitment. Yeah, you, you know, John, you brought up a really good point. Yeah, so much of this is human, right? And when you're working with your clients, listening, cat, you're right, catching that nuanced sense of weight, you know, especially when they don't comment, right? Where they seem to yes and say, okay, okay. But then you notice they're not really understanding and reaching across the divide. And Hongshan, I, I can't believe that you, this is your specialty, building design teams and corporations, doing it again and again and knowing what they're, preconceived notions are maybe and how to kind of catch them up to speed to how they really need to understand how to invest in building a solid design team. What do you think are for both of you guys, you both have been in that, you know, seeing a corporation um, building design in-house. And again, not a lot of creative professionals have been in those positions like you guys have and like Bob and Alistair where you've been and Ariana and like the ones that those of you are, have been in the corporate environment. What do you think are the preconceived notions and of, of how corporations can need to bring in design? And, I, and it's interesting, your Hongshan, your story about, oh yeah, they come in and they ask you what color when it's beyond color. Do you want to take this one? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe let me answer it in my own way. Okay. I feel like, yeah. you know, um, to go into a corporation, I think there are things that we need to be my, my, more mindful, right? Um, corporation is not a steady water. Like there's a constant change. Like for instance, I'm working one company that, um, let me put it this way, in four years time, I have five different managers. Right? heard that story and, sometimes. Yeah. And some yeah. people just imagine like, no, actually corporation is very steady, really bureaucracy. Yeah, there are people involved, but the thing about corporation leadership sometimes is fun. Like the, the way they believe to make the change is changing the organization. <laughs> okay. And people move, mindset will move. Hopefully things will happen. And I think in a way that many leaders have to be very adaptive, adaptive, they're kind of changing accordingly. At the same time, like I also thinking about there's couple of things happening in corporation too. There's always a pendulum effect. Sometimes the corporation want to centralize the capability. Sometimes you want to kind of build into the BU and this kind of pendulum as uh, you know, a leader, you need to be very sensitive of where the pendulum is heading to. 
because you don't want to sell the wrong idea to the wrong people. And then you have to ride with the wave and then kind of maximize the effect that you can gain and make the momentum for the team. And I think the very last one I feel working in cooperation is have to be very careful that I see a lot of design team leader make a mistake in the corporation, try to sell design as a service. Sorry to say that, I don't believe that. I think we can buy design service from outside, but inside as a design team, we shouldn't be as a service. We should be as a strategic partner, as a business, as equal seeing eyes to eye to my um, BU partner, just like a, we are creating strategy together. But that is a very hard maneuver to turn it, it around. Is. But it, it is. is critical. Yeah, so because have thinking you, about this, right? Have if, you ever sorry, orchestrated yeah. that? Yes, I think that's important because I see people make the mistake to a point that the team becomes like, not beauty competition, but cost competition with outside. And that is a death sentence for the internal team. Okay, right. Because no matter how, internal team will be always been see slower, more expensive, right? Like what John say, I mean, we're laughing, but that's true, right? I mean, because mm -hmm. there's always place that you can buy cheaper, better, whatever design, right? And you can buy more flavor. And there will be always people want to deliver service, you know, like give you 100 design drawing, in a dime and well, but smaller organization then are not beholden to the corporate you know processes and you know yeah yeah, yeah. So, and, and i so think the role isn't yeah. isn't the role inside corporations a different role right this is yeah. the role that you guys uphold internally there's an absolute value for it we that, need to actually become an advocate for design like emphasize what is design maturity and quality and strategy look like inside your corporation and level that up to a point that actually for me is an enterprise transformation about the culture of respect of design. And, and that's where that's, you need someone internally and externally to partner together, move together because it won't happen only by internal team or external team. You need to leverage each other's strengths. So. Absolutely. I completely agree. I think that and I agreed with everything. Like a couple ads. One was, you know, we always set it up and I had to fight. This is one of the biggest battles I had at Clorox. It became a nightmare, but finally won that design controlled design. So our internal team controlled all design internally and externally. And we were the conduit between the external teams and the internal teams on every project. That was yeah. a huge decision, a point of, um, we had to hit and we hit that and it worked, but that took, oh my gosh, lots, lots of intense conversations. The other thing I learned, it was only a few years ago where I found this out, and I wish I had known this many years ago, is going into these conversations internally with internal teams, um, you know, you've got cross-functional teams going on. You've got R&D, you've got marketing, you've got the brand team, you've got research, you've got PSO, product supply. And what design is, is we're the connective tissue that allows these teams to talk because normally they don't talk to each other. They are true silos. And yeah. so when they come together on a project, they still don't talk. And when I realized that we became that tissue, allowed them to speak, and we were funneling, whether the work was done internally or externally, together, and we made it fluid, the team and the quality of work just rose. And so that's a big role that internal design teams have to play in corporations, whether you're doing the work internally. You're, you are that tissue that brings everybody together and allows people to talk. 
you really do allow people to talk that normally wouldn't talk. Yeah. There, totally agree with you. Aren't there certain corporations where the design teams are so design division is so big that even within design, UX is not talking to ID, not talking to customers, you know, like, you know, like service design and you know, it can yeah. get that big. It, it's, it's about scale, right? Do so you need that connected tissue? Absolutely. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And the last Indeed. thing I always yeah. worried about was, and this, this is what kept me up nights. My entire career was the quality of the work. Whether the work was done internally or externally or by who, you know, we had to ensure the quality of the work was a high quality and we exceeded expectations and we felt really good about the work. And so it got around that issue of, well, internally it takes too long and it costs more. Well, if our quality is better than external, does it matter? And so that won us a lot of conversation, even though we weren't taking longer and cost more, but we just ensured the quality, whether we did it or someone outside, it didn't matter the internal team as long as the quality was there. And that I lost more sleep over that in my life than anything else. Yeah, I mean, I also agree with John, like, you know, I mean, definitely like that kind of like, you know, um, as a leader in this organization, sometimes just like, I can, I have to admit, I'm not a good designer. Okay. So, but I love to work with a lot of great designer and empower them to do good design work. Um, so I, I think, John, you mentioned about something really, you know, touched my heart too, is like, as a leader that the quality is actually the team's credit, right? And how can we help the rest of the team beyond the design team becomes knowledgeable to see what we see about the quality because design is so vulnerable in comparison to manufacturers say, hey, by cutting this part or, you know, make this mm -hmm. bigger, we can save $5 per piece. Like, uh, so design, what's your defense, right? And however, I think one thing can make it make a difference as an internal, like, you know, design evangelist is to change that understanding of what the quality can be and help people to see not only in the project, but in their life, if they can see the quality of the design, just like what we are, then they will appreciate every detail and know what you fight for and fight with you. And that's where you can earn people's respect too. And along project by project, connection to connection, even there will be people disagree, they always fight with you in the company, they will still supporting you and respect your fight. And that's the very key important thing that makes internal design team different than the external. Yeah, I agree. I always liked it when a client or somebody from our internal cross-functional team would answer questions directed to design from leadership and they answered them better than we can answer them. And I always felt, felt like they finally got it. They understand. And, and like you say, they were fighting for us, which was a, a phenomenal thing for us. And we really enjoyed that. Didn't happen often, but when we did see it, it was, it was a real fun time. I you know, really appreciate it. I remember those days. Thrive Today is brought to you by Thrive by Design, a masterclass program designed to empower design professionals like you to unearth your highest potential, make exponential impact, master cultivating and landing opportunities, thus thriving in your career. Don't let the pinnacle of your career slip by. Take ownership of your future now. To learn more about the program, head over to our website, thrivebydesign.today. That's T-H-R-I-V-E-B-Y-D-E-S-I-G-N dot T-O-D-A-Y. You know, it's interesting when I listen to all these discussions, all the different talks, um, but particularly those of you 
that have really led within corporations, enterprise scale, large scale corporations, you're facilitating, you're mediating, you're bringing consensus to a common goal that the whole corporation can get behind. And when, you, when you're creating that kind of um, true north, uh, it's interesting how you get all these different divisions to come together and align on values and you know, for the company missions. I have to tell you, I'm just thinking for a moment, like there should be some of you who could go into leadership around cities and, and government because it's the same thing. It's even, it's when something is that vast and that big, you're needing to have someone who can listen to all the different voices. Um, I don't know, it's just a tangent. Like you guys are bringing together corporate goals and getting everybody on the same, you know, on the same page. Um, Corporations, someone, one of you guys had mentioned, you know, I've seen corporations that go through their phases of growth mode. And then I love how they reappropriate the term sustainability mode. Or they bring in a CEO and it's like, we're on sustainability mode. And it means cut, 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 you know, and say these move design through growth mode, you know, they, they throw design. And then when they go to sustainability mode, they, they go, oh, we're going to cut because design is about creating. We don't need to be creating. We'll just live off the products, you know, and how do you, how do you in leadership teach them that design can do more than just create, right? It's, it's solving problems. Have you guys gone through those conversations where they say design's just for growth? You know, where, you know, what, where's your value at this point of sustainability? Have you guys had those conversations before? Yes, always. <laughs> <laughs> See this gray hair? Yeah. <laughs> See, there's no hair. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think I think it's just uh, um, it, for for me and how I approach design and approach clients, it was proving along the way. Mm -hmm. Even as I left two weeks ago, those battles are still going on. You yeah. have some successes, you have some failures, and it's and it's just part of the part of the game. Um, but it is we have moved the needle, and it continues to move. I think the organization understands the bigger picture. The difficulty we run into, I don't know if it's specific to Clorox, but because we were involved in strategy on some projects and we were still doing ID down here and everything in between, it was really confusing to the yeah. company and, and the people in the company what we really did and where our strengths were. And so it was, it was more of a confusion thing. And, and mm -hmm. I never figured out how to solve that problem. It's like, well, you have a designer that can go talk to the injection molder on how to mold a Brita pitcher and talk about venting, you know, and we can have this strategy conversation with M&A about some purchase of a new company and figuring out how to present that brand. But they're both designers in the same group and we're nine people. So it was, it was that the confusion caused issues with leadership as well. For me, how fascinating. Like a, yeah. For fascinating. me, it's more of a technical right like you know knowing that the company will always have this pendulum effect right and we are responsible as a leader to very carefully decide how do we want to grow our organization right we i mean for me it will be a very how do you say um arrogant kind of mistake that we only want to grow people to like this is a very common mistake for a corporation person like the more people report with me seems like the more power i have right and, but that also means like when you grow too rapidly and quickly, couldn't prove the value and connection to the value, then when the wave comes, then we are going to face a cut. 
But I think as a responsible design leader, we need to consider people's life. We are not just bring them to join the team and then just you know, as a resource. I don't believe that. I think it's about a relationship for the long term. That means we need to carefully nurture and grow. And you know, that's why a lot of time my team is not big, big, like 40, 50 person team. At the yeah. same time, there are different way of handle that too. So to an answer you from the other angle, this is more of technical about how you grow your organization, right? The other way is how do you define your value? Again, come back to my previous point. Like these things hit because the design team doesn't, or any organization, sub-organization in a corporation, doesn't really define their value right. If they are targeting on cost saving and efficiency, which is a necessary evil, not the value added organization, like, you know, then like, are you an R&D organization, create a value, or are you, uh, you know, like profit and loss, like try to operationalize, right? And I would always choose to become R&D. But that also means when you as a design leader in organization choosing project and position design team, you have to be very articulated about where do you want to put your bet? Because maybe some project is very easy for you to handle, but they will actually turn the team into operational team. Like, hey, can you do this graphic drawing, you know, and turn it around in two days? Yeah, I can, but I don't want to, <laughs> right? And that's a choice that the, the corporation leader have to be very careful of making those choices. Yeah, yeah, I've gotten really good at saying no to doing those drawings in two days that they need. <laughs> yes. And that also creates a perception that internal team is slow and expensive. Right. So it's like a dilemma that we're facing all the time. Like what are the battle we are choosing? I think this is that, that you know, John and uh, Hongshan, both of you, that this is a comment I think that you both have mentioned that every creative should listen to is not say yes to every project that's given to you, whether it's your employer, whether it's your client and to validate why, you know, and to prioritize, tell them why, help them understand the reason why. Yeah. yeah, and I'm sorry that's to say hard. to my, you know, I'm sorry to say to my external friends, like a lot of consultants are here. That's why I kick off some project to outside for that reason too. <laughs> yes. Yeah, same thing with that. So some of those projects we just don't want, we'll just outsource them and let let, let them deal with it. Prioritizing it, it is prioritizing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, I love it. I don't know. I was, you were I, one other thing I want to add, and it sounds like you have small teams as well, but because. Um, our team has been having to grow, like I talked about, and, and we're, we continue to grow. And I think I mentioned this to you, Angela, is when we hired people, we hired, and it's not my terms, I picked this up somewhere else, we hired pioneers versus settlers in our design team, right? We hired people who were willing to get bruised up and bloodied and fight for things and stand up for themselves and run because we are a small team. You know, we don't, I can't beat every meeting. I can't. So yeah. everyone in the team can manage their own clients, fight their own fight, educate people on what design is, is and what it can be and how to elevate it. And that's worked very, very well. So it's just not me that's out there saying how great design is. It's everyone on the team and they're all doing it on an individual level. And I found that worked very, very well. What that did do is made it very difficult to find the right people to do that. You're fine if I'm really talented design people who can roll up their sleeves and do the work. Oh, by the way, they have to be really, really good at sensing clients' needs and understandings and misunderstandings and yeah. and have tenacity and have patience, right? Because yep. pioneers, it tends to be fast and furious and get it done and on to the next. But that that so that you know the varying 
attributes are very interesting to find. And I think that was Sam um, Acriano who said that, talked about pioneers, builders, and planners. I want to talk about, John, you, you were in lots of some of the top design consultancies. And what was that like for you, for you to go corporate? Because there are so many corporate clients that I work with sometimes where their notion is, can this person go corporate? And I want to, I want you to share if you could <laughs> kind of, what was that like when, you know, when they looked at you, did they have the foresight to see that capability in you? Because there's also a lot of people on the consultancy side or entrepreneur side that say, it's time for me to go corporate. And, you know, how did that come about? And I don't know, Hamshan, if you have a, a relevant version to that story. Oh, gosh. I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm trained in a traditional industrial designer, started working actually in 1981 in, in design. You know, you designed a thing and you sold it. There was no consumer group. There was no nothing. It was like, cool technology. We're going to make it work and we're going to sell it. And so the industry has morphed, right? As we all know, I mean, that work still happens, but that's, so I was able to morph and very fortunate to have morphed by working at the right places and having my head up, right? And so that made that transition from consulting to corporate a little bit easier. Um, consulting was fun and I really enjoyed it. And I grew offices and it was great experience. And I really missed some of those aspects of it. But the impact a designer can have in a corporation is so much larger than in a consulting firm. As a consulting firm, you're brought in, you do the work, you go away. Within a corporation, you understand the complexities and why decisions get made and how it gets made. And so having the broad experience it did made that transition easy. Did, did they welcome me with open arms? No. To the day I left, you know, they, you know, people didn't always want me there, but um, it was fun. I learned a lot. I continued to learn. And so, you know, I, and my advice is you have to do, everyone has to try both consulting and corporate and startups and everything, because it's, it's great experience and you learn what you love doing and you learn what you hate and you work with people to learn from them and you go, well, I don't want to be like that, but maybe I want to do that. So you know, everybody has to do it. You have to change and morph in what you do as you grow and you learn. When you stop learning, it's time to go somewhere else. And that was what I've done my whole career. When I stopped learning, wherever yep. I was at, I went somewhere else. So some places I worked at a year, some places I worked at much longer. And, and that was kind of the key. So the transition wasn't difficult because that was my lens. I love that point. When you stop learning, it's time to start moving on. And it may not be just corporate consultancy or a different company or different industry or expertise, but listen to what that is, right? There's so much more I can ask you guys, um, but we're running over. Thank you so much for sharing just a peek of what that world is like leading within you know, the big corporation. So really appreciate your role there and how you impact. Thank you. Thank you, Angela. Congratulations on 15 years. Yep, thank, thank you. you. I it's an honor for me to just play our part in helping you guys. So I love it. Thank Thanks, you. Rachel. Thank you. Bye. Bye. As designers, sometimes we're evangelists, sometimes we're educators, and sometimes we even have to market ourselves and our own team. I love this quote from Hong Xian. Aside from our creative and technical skills that are essential to every designer, we must also know how to wear different hats if we want to move up in our career, whether that be in either the consultancy or the corporate setting, or even running our own business. 
these are the things that you have to master. Anyway, thank you so much for tuning in. We're releasing new episodes every Monday, so stay tuned. By the way, if you want us to talk about any topic that you have in mind or want us to feature a special guest, do let us know. Feel free to message and follow us on our social media accounts at Yay Ideology. Thank you, everyone. Until next week.